0: Hi, I'm Rico Tice, a pastor of a church called All Souls in London. Most of us wonder, is there something more to life? The Finding More podcast tells the stories of 11 people who asked that question and found the answer. For this episode, we spoke to Rachel, student of Yale. Rachel was convinced that all Christians were stupid bigots. But once she started looking into the person of Jesus, she was drawn in by him. Is there something more to life? It's time to find out.
1: Rachel asks to meet in a fried chicken restaurant. It's basically my favourite food ever. The restaurant is a stylish place, with quirky paintings of chickens on the wall that look down on the customers eating their deep-fried counterparts. Rachel's brought along her best friend, Sarah, and the waitress who brings the menus suggests getting some dishes to share. But Rachel is adamant. I need my own chicken. I don't want to share. She has long brown hair, thick glasses, and a slightly offbeat sense of humour that makes her fun to be around. As she looks at the menu, she makes a joke about ordering chicken breasts, which she later decides is too trashy to include in this write-up. The joke works, it turns out, because it was Rachel's sexuality that was one of the reasons she became totally opposed to Christianity as a teenager. I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, she explains, so I guess I started life neutral towards Christianity, and then, as I moved into my high school years, I became more opposed to it. The main reason was that I saw it as being for stupid people. That was mostly because the Christians I was talking to were only about 14 years old. It's not really fair to make a judgement about a huge intellectual tradition based on the reasoning of children. But then, she shrugs, we're not always fair, are we? Then, as I was about 16, I started to understand my sexuality more. I'd already had some sexual relationships with men. Well, high school boys, really. But as I started to be attracted to women, and then act on those attractions, I was like, oh, this is where my heart is. The reason stuff with boys felt out of place was because it's not my place. I gradually started to own that identity more and more. I knew from the culture that Christianity was against homosexuality. So by the time I was 18, I concluded that Christians were both stupid and bigots. It's clear that Rachel is a woman who thinks deeply about things, which was part of the reason her teenage self was so excited to go to Yale. I was so looking forward to being at one of America's most prestigious universities. I imagined that Yale was going to be a great place for me. But the first thing that happened was that I realised that, actually, most people are much smarter than me. That shot me down. And then my girlfriend broke up with me. She was this girl from high school that I fell totally in love with, so I was kind of in a tailspin. Then one day in philosophy class, they were talking about René Descartes' proof of God. Rachel waves a hand to show that the details of this particular philosophical argument are not important. Anyway, I was curious about the existence of God, but at the same time, I was ashamed about that curiosity, so I would secretly look things up about faith in Christianity on my computer. What I read about Jesus online was much more compelling than what I'd expected. So I was drawn in by this different Jesus. But at the same time, my sexuality was a big barrier. I knew that I wanted to marry a woman someday, and I knew that Christianity wasn't okay with that. Rachel looked for a way to square this different Jesus and her sexuality. I went and talked to two girls I knew who identified as Christians and were dating each other. They were like, yeah, you can totally be a Christian and go out with a woman. They gave me a bunch of information to read at home. I was so excited. I so wanted to believe it. But then, I pulled up the Bible on my computer and checked the quotes they were using to make their arguments that it was all okay, and I realised, this doesn't add up. This is not what these sections of the Bible are really saying. I knew then that there was not a way to reconcile my sexuality and Jesus. But somehow, Rachel couldn't shake off her interest in Jesus. One day, She was in the room of a college friend and noticed a book on her shelf with an intriguing title, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, the university professor come childrens author who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia stories. The title grabbed me, but there was no way I was going to admit that I was interested in Christianity by asking to borrow it. So I stole it. As she secretly read it, she had a dawning realisation which she describes as, Oh my goodness, God is real! and I'm in a lot of trouble, because not only is he real, he is perfect, and I am incredibly imperfect. But there was an element of hope there too, she says. I understood for the first time that Jesus has come to place himself as a kind of wall between God's wrath, his right and fair anger at my sin, and me. I knew that if I trusted in Jesus, I was going to be saved. Now, did I understand the full implications of that? Certainly not. But I knew that I could be somehow connected to Jesus and saved from God's anger. I remember thinking, Well, I like to drink a lot. I like the excessive parts of my lifestyle. I like to sleep with women. And all those things will have to go out the window. But it is stupid to pretend like what the Bible is saying isn't true just because it's inconvenient. I need to take this deal because I'm never going to get a deal like this again. I had a sense that I needed to pray and so i just talked to God right then. A couple of days later, Rachel ran into the Christian student group on campus. I had a ton of questions, obviously. I didn't know anything. They were very good in giving me a Bible, showing me how to pray, taking me to church. The female friends who drew around me became very close to me, helping me fight through the sexual temptation and sexual failure that came. It became pretty clear to me, after a little while, that my attractions toward women hadn't just gone when I became a Christian. Those first few years were littered with bad decisions. I was committed to Christ, but then I would choose a sexual relationship and get stuck in these cycles, but my friends would lovingly keep calling me back to what I believed in. But it's time to address the elephant in the room in all this. Why can't Jesus just accept people the way they are? Why is it the case that for Rachel, as a lesbian, there was not a way to reconcile her sexuality and Jesus? Rachel chews thoughtfully as she considers this question. He does accept who people are, in the sense that he made them and loves them. God designed everything in his creation to reveal who he is and to bless us. That includes sex. It's not that he looked down from the sky one day and said, Oh no, look at what those humans are doing with their bodies. I need to regulate this with some rules. No, sex was God's idea including the pleasure that goes along with it. And I can trust him. He's not saying no to my desires towards women in an arbitrary or a mean way. If something seems good to me, it's hard to imagine why it doesn't seem good to God. But it's like God says, I define what is good. I've designed sex to work a certain way. And when you use it opposite to the design, it wrecks you and it wrecks the gift and it wrecks your ability to understand me. The reason I care enough to say this is because I'm for you and I love you. But while insisting that what Jesus says is good, Rachel readily admits that the church has often acted badly towards LGBT people. If people think the church is homophobic, they're not totally wrong. In the past, Christians have acted cruelly in a lot of ways. There's been a lot of name-calling and shaming and sometimes physical abuse. Sadly, that's sometimes still the case. The church has a responsibility to apologise for its mistakes and do better. The truth is that God says we're all created equal and we are all sexually broken. Every one of us, whether gay or straight, needs the power of Christ to become whole again. Christians are wrong if they treat homosexuality like it's a worse sin than heterosexual sin. So yes, the church has said and done things to object to. But not Jesus himself. He's the one who matters. Okay, but how could you just give up such an important part of your identity, something that had been so fundamental to your sense of self for so long? Well, Rachel says slowly, it would definitely be tragic to give up something that valuable for something that is less valuable. And it would also be tragic to pretend like this real part of my life, my sexuality, is less than it is. But Jesus is more precious than even that very deep part of me, because of his great love. And, she pauses for a moment with a smile, that sounds really weird if you're not a Christian, right? But the Bible talks about a Christian's relationship with Christ being something that we should be able to die for because it's so precious. And celibacy and singleness are not death, she says frankly. Not having sex or not experiencing a romantic relationship is a severe thing, But I'd be willing to give up even more than that. In fact, giving up things is a very normal part of the Christian life. There are lots of people who give up sex, who give up their bodies, who give up their money. And you don't really do it out of obligation. You do it out of love. You're captured by Christ's love. And it drives you to do things that you never thought possible before. Because Jesus gives you this sense of security, and purpose, and an ultimate destination. Rachel says that this promise of eternal life changes the way she approaches life now. Previously, I lived as if this life is the only life I have. I was told that I needed to maximise it, because I've got, maybe, 80 years, and for several of them, I'll be frail. So the ones when I'm healthy, I need to take full advantage of. And that includes sex. So that's what I pursued. And, yeah, some of the sex was very good. But some of it was pretty crappy and disappointing and emotionally a letdown, and not all the things it was cracked up to be. It was a hugely mixed bag. But the thing is, I don't have to squeeze everything out of this life in order to find joy, because God made me, and knows me. I can trust him, that living his way will bring me joy. And it has led to my joy. How would I have ever known how much joy he brings if I didn't trust him, and take this step? And anyway, my trust wasn't based on ridiculous things, she adds thinking back to her decision to become a Christian at Yale. I did a lot of research on the historical reliability of the resurrection. The reason that most people aren't Christians is either because they think that Jesus isn't really real, or that he isn't really worth it. But Jesus is both, really real and really worth it. He once said that, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. Mark ten twenty nine 29-30 I have absolutely found that to be true. Yes, I gave up some major things and some significant sexual relationships, but God has heaped upon me beautiful and good things in their place. Rachel's friendship with Sarah is a case in point. As dinner continues, there's an easy back and forth of jokes and conversation across the table. They share a love for softball and college football, and for Rachel's four-year-old daughter. Sarah is like a third parent to her, Rachel says. Which brings us to the final twist in Rachel's story. How she met the father of her daughter. Her husband. So, how did you end up married to a man? I ask. "'slightly baffled. "'Oh, I know,' she replies sympathetically. "'She accepts that many people find this part of the story strange, or offensive. "'When I met Andrew, we both had a crush on the same girl, "'so it was definitely not love at first sight. "'Life took us separate ways, "'but then months later he reached out to me, out of the blue, and we reconnected. "'And then I started to get the feeling that he liked me, "'and I thought, oh no.' but I had this sense from God that I should just give it a try. As we were dating, I saw that we made a good team and wanted the same things in life. But I had to wrestle with the fact that the attraction I felt to him was not the same as with my girlfriends. That felt more like butterflies and fireworks, she says, waving her hand above her head. My attraction to Andrew seemed like a quiet little thing that was real, but much more vulnerable. She cups her hands in front of her as if she were holding a tiny animal and I wondered if I was fooling myself. I spent a lot of time talking to my friends and praying about it, and I eventually thought, yes, this is enough to build a relationship on. I do love him. I had this awareness that God would help me to be married specifically to Andrew, because I don't need to be attracted to every man in the world in order to be attracted to the one man in the world I'm married to. We've been married ten and a half years. Rachel says this doesn't mean that she's been made straight. When she experiences attraction today, it is still to women, and, early in my Christian life, it was a real struggle. Now, ten years later, the temptation is still there, but the sin does seem less and less enticing. And in many ways, the fight to stay faithful is the same as in any marriage. I don't want to pretend that my path is necessarily normal for every gay person who becomes a Christian. There are many, including friends of mine, who will remain single for their whole lives, and many who find the long-term experience of same-sex attraction more daunting. Either way, I believe that what God has in store for Christians beyond death, indeed, even all that he gives us in this life, will make anything we give up in this life look small, even though it might not feel small right now. One day, it will look tiny.
0: find out more about Christian Explored visit christiantexplored.org and to purchase the book Finding More visit thegoodbook.co.uk forward slash finding more